Our second reading this morning comes from the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we are beginning our stewardship season today, we are talking about one of the least popular topics in the church, money. Now, the Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So clearly, it is a very serious issue and one that many people wish the church would not talk about. And everyone who's visiting here this morning is going, oh, figures. I mean, many people think that all the church wants is our money, which, which must mean that all that God wants is our money. But I assure you, the truth is so much worse than that. <laughs> Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. It was the middle of the 5th century BC. The people of Judah had returned from their exile in Babylon. The temple had been rebuilt in response to great promises made by the prophets about the glorious messianic age that would follow. But decades had now passed and very little had changed. The expectations associated with the reconstruction of the temple had not been fulfilled. They had not become the great nation that they were in the past, but were still just a vassal state of Persia with a Persian governor who ruled over them. They were struggling with, with issues of national security, with corruption within their leadership, and they were going through very difficult economic circumstances. The people had all become dissatisfied with their lives and with their religion, and they were just sort of going through the motions. You know, their hearts were not really in it, and they were just trying to meet the bare minimum requirements of the law. They weren't so blatantly idolatrous as previous generations had been. They were just apathetic. 
They had become disillusioned about their future and had grown skeptical of God's promises. They even began to wonder what the point of worshiping God was at all. Religion had just become rather tedious to the people. I'm sure we can all understand a little of the situation, can't we? And after all, we, we also live in a country that's not quite what it used to be. We too know what it's like to struggle with issues of national security, corruption in our leaders, and a volatile economy. We too have often settled for vaguely dissatisfying lives that don't seem to live up to the promises in Scripture about the abundant life. We too have often been frustrated by our religious practice, especially these past 19 months. And I'm sure all of us at times have, have just gone through the motions of doing church. Our hearts not really in it. Perhaps at times even wondering what's the point of coming to church at all. So maybe, maybe we're not really all that different from the people to whom the prophet Malachi was speaking. And so maybe Malachi's message to them is also God's message to us. And on behalf of Almighty God, Malachi brings an indictment against the people of Judah. See, God had grown weary of the people's complaining, all the while they failed to live in faithfulness to the covenant. They were profaning God's temple by bringing polluted food to the altar for sacrifice. They were offering God their blind, lame, and sick animals, the likes of which God says they wouldn't even have offered their foreign governor whom they hated. But they were giving God their leftovers, the stuff they didn't want or really need. And God says, I do not want these sacrifices, and I will not accept them. I would rather someone seal up the doors of my temple than for this to go on. Malachi then goes on to bring God's accusation against the priesthood, for they had corrupted the covenant that God had made with the Levites, the tribe that God had consecrated or set apart for priestly duties. See, the priests were accepting these polluted leftover offerings from the people and sacrificing them on the temple altar. And they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel, and yet they no longer revered God, and they failed to teach the people the way of the Lord. And as a result of their failure, the entire nation had fallen into corruption, and they no longer put their trust in God. And yet, in spite of all of their failures, it was the people who were complaining against God. I mean, they, they moaned about the sacrifices, calling it all a weariness. They, they said, all who do evil are good in the sight of the Lord. They cried out, where is the God of justice whenever things weren't going their way? Worst of all, they spoke out against the Lord, publicly attacking 
God's care and provision of them, saying, it is pointless for us to serve God. What do we gain by obeying him? God no longer loves us if he ever even did. In response to all this complaining, rather than laying down the hammer as we might expect, instead God calls out to his people saying, I have loved you and I love you still. I'm not the one who has changed. I'm still the same God who made the covenant with your ancestors, and I still love you despite your breaking of my covenant, despite your complaining and profaning of my temple, despite the fact that you have turned away from my commands and have not kept them. And then pleading with his people, God says, return to me, and I will return to you. But how does God say the people should return to him? Quit robbing me, says God. How are we robbing you, the people ask? With your tithes and your offerings, says the Lord. God accuses the entire nation of robbing him by failing to bring him their full tithe, 10% of their income. And then God issues one of the greatest and most unique challenges in all of Scripture as God practically dares the people to put him to the test. Bring the full tithe to me, God says, and see if I will not rain down upon you blessings without measure. Now, isn't it interesting that for all that the people were doing wrong with their unfaithfulness, their complaining, their apathy, their profaning of the temple, their slandering of God's name and character, what does God say that the people need to do in order to return to him so that they might receive all the blessings of heaven? Start tithing. Now, for a people going through such a spiritual crisis, why would God make a financial demand of them rather than a spiritual one? Well, maybe, maybe it's because all God does care about is our money. And after all, besides the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke about money and material possessions more than any other subject. But maybe, maybe that's because money actually is a deeply spiritual issue and one that often presents the greatest threat to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Remember Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice our hearts follow our treasure. And Jesus knows that the best way to get our hearts to be devoted fully to God, the best way to bring about a spiritual rebirth among his people is to get us to let go of the God that we call money and learn to put our trust in him instead. But oh, how we resist it. Some of you may remember Reverend Leroy, he was one of the characters played by the comedian Flip Wilson on his TV show back in the early 70s. 
Reverend Leroy was the pastor of the church of what's happening now. One Sunday, after collecting the offering and being very discouraged by what was in the plate, Leroy said to the congregation, now I'm sure that everybody here wants this church to progress. And if this church is going to progress, then first it's got to crawl. And the people said, let it crawl, Rev, let it crawl. And he said, and after this church has crawled, then it's got to stand up and walk. And the people said, make you walk, Rev, make you walk. And he said, and after this church has walked, then it's got to run. And they said, make you run, Rev, make you run. And he said, for this church to run, it's going to take money. Let it crawl, Rev, let it crawl. Our enthusiasm dwindles rather quickly once money enters the picture, doesn't it? You always find it interesting how many people complain that all the church wants is their money. But let's at least be honest. All Starbucks wants is your money. All BMW wants is your money. All Nike wants is your money. All Costco wants is your money. All Amazon wants is your money. All Apple wants is your money. We certainly don't complain too much about all of them, do we? No, we line up with money in our hands like lambs to the slaughter, and we throw it at them. But the church, the church doesn't just want your money. No, on behalf of Jesus Christ, the church is asking for your whole life. Your money is simply the most powerful symbol of that. It's also often the greatest barrier to receiving all the blessings that Jesus is just dying to give you. Because nothing causes us to clench our fists more tightly than our money. And only those with the open hands can receive those blessings. But the miracle is, as many of you have learned, that the more we learn to open our hands in faith and give back to God with grateful and joyful and generous hearts, the more blessings we receive. Because with God, you always get more than you give because you just can't outgive God. Now be very sure, God doesn't just want your money. God wants your whole life so that you can receive all of the blessings that heaven has to give. And you know, the God revealed in Jesus Christ can probably do just fine without any of our money. And after all, he's the one that gave it to us in the first place, right? And if the cross couldn't defeat him, and the tomb couldn't contain him, and the Roman Empire couldn't stop him, then I think Jesus can keep his church going regardless of how much you or I give. But the truth is that, that we need to give because it's what we were created to do. And because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And there are few things that will help us to grow in our spiritual life and to help transform the life of this congregation 
like tithing. And God is challenging us to do so. Now, I've, I've heard a lot of people complain over the years about tithing, saying that it's, it's just an Old Testament thing. It's part of the Old Covenant from which we've been set free in Christ and that giving shouldn't be so legalistic. And there's some truth in that. I mean, the law was a provisional thing until Christ's arrival, but it pointed toward the new covenant and the new law that would only come in him. See, according to the law, one day out of seven was holy. But now, Jesus Christ has sanctified and claimed all seven. The law declared the sanctuary of the Lord to be the holy place. But now, the presence of the risen Savior makes all places holy ground. The law set apart one tribe out of 12 to be priests. But in our baptisms, every one of us has been ordained as a priest of the living God. And the law demanded one-tenth of the people's income for God. But on the cross, Jesus Christ has paid the ransom for your life and for mine. He has bought us with a price and claimed us as his own. Now everything that we have and all that we are belong to him. So the question is not how much of our money are we going to give to God. The question is how much of God's money are we going to keep for ourselves. Let's at least get the question right. This past week, most of you should have received an email with a stewardship letter and a pledge card for the year 2022. And I hope that you will all spend some time praying about what God is inspiring you to give to the mission of Jesus Christ in and through this church in the coming year. And the percentage that you give of your income, well, that's, that's between you and God. I mean, for some of you, 10% might be a stretch right now. Maybe you need to start at a lower number and, and work your way up little by little, year after year. For others of you, 10% might not be nearly enough. But whatever it is, remember, we are priests of the living God offering our sacrifices to the Lord. Malachi's question is, will you offer God your leftovers or will it be a genuine sacrifice? Will God just be one on a list of many items of priorities? Or will Jesus Christ be first in your life? But please, don't give because you think you have to. Or because you're trying to meet the bare minimum requirements for the church. Now that's, that's just going through the motions. Now give because you believe that God loves you and because you want to learn to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Give because you're grateful for this church and for all that God has done in your life. Give because it's what you were created to do and because no matter how much you give, you cannot outgive God. Give because God is challenging us all to do so. Return to me, God says. Bring the full tithe into my storehouse and thus put me to the test. 
and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Test me, God says. I dare you. Amen.